0: Hey guys, welcome back. If you've clicked on this episode, like my other episodes, um, the title spoke to you. And so I'm just going to go straight into it. Let's talk about our thoughts, our brain, our mental dialogue. And basically, I hope after this podcast, you just kind of walk away just being more aware. So even though the theme of this podcast is your mental narrative that you create for yourself and how you respond to it and the power it has over you and your daily actions, I really want you to actually acknowledge that being aware of it is like a huge step forward. So did you know our brain can't identify between reality and make believe? It's why I am a real strong believer of fake it till you make it because if you fake that smile, if you fake an affirmation, you say it, even though you don't truly believe it, you are talking it into existence. So the narrative we tell ourselves becomes our reality. This isn't just what we say out loud, it's what station we tune our mental radio into. We can brainwash ourselves with our environment, our stimuli and our mental dialogue. Have you ever found yourself dwelling on an insult or fixating on like a previous mistake? We've all been there. You kind of have that like, painful cringe moment and it's either on a loop just depending how long ago it happened just replaying in your mind or it likes to sporadically pop up into your mind just as you thought you'd forgotten it so we don't remember every single time a fire kept us warm but we don't forget that one time it fucking burnt us criticism often has a greater impact than compliments and bad news frequently draws more attention than good You know, it's that old um, tabloid theme goes, bad news is better than no news. There's a sadistic pull towards drama and mess that we have conditioned our minds to allow because it it gathers more of our attention. And because it takes more of our attention, it's almost like it has more validity in our mind. We believe it to be more truthful. For some reason, negative events have a greater impact on our brains than positive ones. This is called the negative bias. And it can have life altering effects on your behavior, your decisions, your relationships, and what I think most importantly is your well-being. Now, I don't really want to sit here and just like list all the really powerful and impactful effects that having this negative bias can do to you and your daily routine, but I'm just trying to like identify the problem before giving the tools. So I'm going to ask you, sit there and think to yourself, do you think about negative things more frequently than positive ones? Do you respond more strongly to negative events than to equal, equally positive ones? Don't worry, it's not a simple like yes or no answer, because sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But what I do acknowledge is on the less frequent occasions, I don't react to the negative. I also acknowledge how healthy and happy I am. Happy soil and a tender to garden doesn't host weeds. Think about that. So it's a slippery slope. Once we encounter a negative effect when you're not feeling so great, the cycle begins. This bias towards the negative results in you paying more attention to the bad things that happened around you. Not only do you let it live rent free in your head, you then, something I identified last year and have been practicing detaching from, you then conform to the confirmation bias. You fall victim to this. Now, I personally had my mind blown with this one, never heard it before, but now I question everything I do because of it. We can convince ourselves so much that something is true. We all had that mate, that one mate who knew her boyfriend was cheating, you know, and you'd be there like, yeah, but how do you know? And she'd be like, I just know. And this, and we're not talking about, you know, womanly senses. I'm saying just that bitch who was just so sure because of her paranoia. You say, do you have any evidence? No, I just know. Now, as a result of this, every action, every off sentence, every back turned in bed, confirmed her belief that he was cheating, even if he wasn't. So it's kind of like law of attraction. If you see something in your mind's eye, enough, you will notice it all around you. Same applies to, you know, what people think of you. You know, I've been there before where I know someone or someone has done something shady towards me, the narrative I've created in my mind has, you know, portrayed them as such a villain that every action that they do, I'm like, I'm so convinced. Yep. They were doing that to spite me. They were doing that targeting me, you know, and like, I'm going to go on to what you don't realize is people spend so much less time thinking about you than you think. But that is confirmation bias. And actually the definition when you literally just type it into Google is the tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with one's existing beliefs. When you believe something so much, your vision attracts everything that confirms that belief. We can have such a negative narrative playing in our mind that it becomes all that we see. Not to be a dead horse here, but it's why I preach the importance of affirmations so much. Unfortunately though, through the impact that these trigger moments have on us, they result in influencing the decisions we make. And this can play a role in your motivation to pursue a goal. Now, personally, I actually don't think all negative bias is bad, hear me out. There's a belief I, there's a belief I have that I've never been, touchwood in any serious life-threatening danger more specifically, attacked, mugged, or kidnapped, because I'm so paranoid. I was raised watching murder documentaries, okay? I know that's so dreadful, but I was. It's why I'm the most scared person there is, especially with the dark. But I instinctively instinctively have a bizarre set of go-tos that flash to my mind the second I feel alerted. I, I'm not kidding. From if I'm walking home and it's slightly dark, I'll hold my keys a certain way in my hand, ready to, like lash out if i'm listening to music and all of a sudden like my survival instincts just feel slightly alerted this could be in pure daylight i'll turn my music off but keep bobbing my head to the music as if i haven't clogged. if someone's near me but i've clogged. crazy right i know i know everyone's got their weird things so it can be a bit over the top given i get paranoid at the smallest things but hey never been mugged that's all i'll say (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of where my, I think, negative bias is actually a like beneficial thing because um, it keeps me out of trouble. Anyway, we're dealing with one problem here. Through all of this, we can joke about it, but there is one common denominator with every problem I've raised here, and that's our mind. It's a wild beast to control, but by trying, we are already navigating away from the constant negative narrative we shackle ourselves to. It's hard to shut that shut that constant chatter in your mind up It's not just negative, it's a running commentary on everything past, present and future. It's there when we wake up and it's there when we are about to go to sleep. It's there all day, no matter what we are doing. There's only ever once I can recall unintentionally stopping the voice when I solo skydive for the first time. One minute in freefall. Absolute silence. I actually put this on my stories this morning because... I was trying to get some like context, I was trying to get some kind of like statistics for this, and I went down a bit of a wormhole. So, just to kind of give you some comparison here of how loud our inner chatter is, like the human, it's 80 decibels, is at the top end of what's considered loud enough to cause distress in the average human. The noise, free falling before you open your parachute, Um, at 120 kilometres when you skydive, can go up to 100 decibels. That's 20 decibels more. So if you think about it, we have normalised an internal noise that makes an 100 decibel sound feel peaceful. Crazy. Give that some consideration. Anyway, if you've listened this far, I know you don't want to dwell on dark thoughts. You're tired of damaging relationships, you want to maintain an optimistic outlook on life right? I felt all these. I don't now so much because I'm aware. And hopefully this message in a podcast will be the seed sown for you. Awareness of the radio in your head is step one. Once you separate you from that voice in your head, you have control over it. Because what if I told you that that voice isn't actually the true you? You can't by choice shut it up. But the best way to free yourself from it is to step back and view it objectively. Don't think about it, just notice it. An incredible book I've read once and listened to three times actually is The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer. I'm just going to read a little section from it for you from the book which is right in front of me right now. There is nothing more important to true growth than realising that you are not the voice of the mind. You are the one who hears it. If you watch it objectively, you'll come to see that much of what the voice says is meaningless. Most of the talking is just a waste of time and energy. The truth is that most of life will unfold in accordance with forces far outside of your control, regardless of what your mind says about it. It's like sitting down at night and deciding whether you want the sun to come up in the morning. The bottom line is the sun will come up in the morning and the sun will go down. Billions of things are going on in the world. You can keep thinking about it all if you want, but life is still going to keep on happening. In fact, your thoughts have far less impact on this world than you would like to think. If you're willing to be objective and watch all your thoughts, you'll see that the vast majority of them have no relevance. They have no effect on anything or anybody except you. They are simply making you feel better or worse about what is going on now, what has gone on in the past, or what might go on in the future. I created these podcasts not as a platform to be like, this is wrong. We need to be more like this. Cool. But how? I'm always trying to like actually provide the tools that have helped me massively. Um, And to be honest, I can't actually listen all off the top of my head. So I'm just going to try and drip feed them when I cover certain topics in my podcasts. But for me, I was really struggling with that voice in my head. It was always quite a negative voice, you know, touching back on the negative bias. And... That book was a huge stepping stone in, and meditation, admittedly, even though I still quite struggle to sit down and do it. That book, I cannot recommend enough for actually identifying what's happening first because you can't fix a problem until you get to the root of it. And so that book's really great. Um, The Untethered Soul by Michael A. Singer is a really great way for you to get to the root of the problem if you're struggling to actually understand why you're thinking a certain way or certain things which are really debilitating we have identified the problem if you've lit- listened this <laughs> listened listen this far you know you're vibing this you're understanding it you're resonating with it so how are we going to fix this let's let's apply some practical steps here first thing i'm going to do is actually take you through a really great analogy that i picked up in a phenomenal podcast which i'm actually going to insert a little section of at the very end of this podcast to leave you with i'll give you some more context later however a great Starting point is this analogy that Mo Gordat used. You buy an iPhone and it's at optimum performance, but you download apps you think you need. Slowly, your phone slows down and doesn't work as well. There's no single app that you can buy or install that will bring back its optimal performance. So instead, you have to remove the apps that drain your phone battery. You have to hit reset. We can all relate to that analogy because We all experience that. So now apply that to life. Instead of finding reasons to be happy, look for the reasons that make you unhappy and remove them. Okay, we need to reset. Now that you've done that, let's move on to three actionable steps that you can start practicing in your daily life. You can start practicing side by side to that voice that you feel like is holding you back. Let's start training it for the better. One, reframe the negative situation so that you can see what you learned and how it can help you in the future. Let go of what it has done in the past and use it to mold your future. Whatever that that narrative is that you keep replaying, that cringe moment, that painful moment, reframe it. Go back to it one more time. And see it from a different perspective what did it teach and I know that's oh, I hate when people say that what was the lesson learned because usually it's not until way later that you stop reflect and realize oh fuck that's what it taught me unfortunately we're so caught up in being like butthurt about it that we we poison our mind our vision with actually seeing the lesson in it so try and do that because you will relieve yourself of the pain once you see it from a different perspective. I don't want to go into too much detail, but we're talking about putting yourself in someone else's shoes, having some compassion as to understanding why maybe someone treated you that way. Why did someone make you feel that way? But also look at it from a different perspective of what in that person's behaviour did it reflect in you? What unhealed wound have they exposed? Because, and it sounds so, so, you know, Gandhi, but... See it as a blessing when something causes friction within you, because it is revealing a part of you that you need to heal. and And it's so annoying, and it's so frustrating. I say it like I know it, but it's you know I I deal with this daily myself. Frankly, it is fucking annoying sometimes because then you just get caught in this thing where your natural behavioral pattern is to be pissed off at someone, but then you just sit there being like. What is it about me that's unhealed that I need to look further into and do some developing and inner work on? It's tiring, but genuinely you it's tiring at first, but you relieve yourself of years of just being anchored to a negative scenario in your mind, which you're only in time going to make worse. Step two, establish new patterns. When you catch yourself deep in a negative cycle, one of those moments where you're like... You catch yourself and you're like... Have I been sitting here for a minute? Or like an hour? You know? You say to that voice... Stop. And I know that sounds like a bit of wet advice... But I genuinely catch myself... Stopping. And genuinely I say out loud... Not today Satan. <laughs> and it's funny because I put my hand up as in like... You know... To a disobedient child and I'm like... No. Not today. Any time that I catch my mind starting that spiral starting that negative spiral that negative bias look for any other activity any kind of distracting but uplifting activity to pull yourself out of that negative mindset and I know that's super easy to say but if you're replaying a negative past memory or outcome consciously try to redirect your attention elsewhere play a song get moving call someone or as a personal go-to for me, I put on a podcast so that my mental radio station is tuned into a better channel. Also when I say establish new patterns, one thing, like, I don't know if this is maybe the best example, but it's an example that happened to me. I had a song that really reminded me of my ex and it wasn't like a love song. It was actually a super, um, uh, fuck. All right, I'm going to pause this. I need to find the song. Three, two, one, and we're back. So Sigma, Nobody to Love. Oh, wait for it, wait for it. Oh. Oh, right, right. Anyway, my point, going back to establishing new patterns. The annoying thing about this song, at the time was coming on on the radio the time, I worked in the gym so it would come over on the... Loud speakers, like in the main gym, when I'd be in the middle of like just PTing someone, not even thinking about my ex. Next thing, I'm like heartbroken all over again in the middle of a paid PT session where I'm gonna be all like super bubbly, happy, you know, life and the soul of the party, man. <laughs> just, I was hearing it, like literally, I'd be walking down the street and someone would be driving past with their windows down and their song would play. And every single time, ugh, like straight away, my heart would hurt. So I decided to punish myself first, take a step back in order to take 10 steps forward. I decided every time I'd go climb at the time I lived in Brisbane, I was near um, these famous mountains, Mount Tibrogargan, every time I'd go climb it, which was a really fun experience for me, I'd listen to the song and I know that sounds mad at first I'd genuinely be like crawling up that hill crying but by the end of it like now I fucking love that song still to this day and I do not think of my ex once. I think of like some of the best times in Australia. That is how you establish a new a new pattern from, you know, a negative situation. But that's also how I've reframed the negative situation. Like I now look back at not like, oh, well done, my ex triggered me. I'm like, well done, Pania, you took a negative situation and turned it to your advantage. Now I fucking love listening to that song. Also, my ex does not have the power of living rent free in my head anymore. Step number three, cement positive moments. Recall positive moments and give them color in your mind. It's so important to give these extra ten- attention so that they get stored in the long-term memory. It is really easy for a painful memory to get stored, but not a positive one, purely because of the impacts that the negative one had on us. A few years ago, I wasn't in a good place. Again, a podcast will come on it, but I just wanna speak about it really authentically, and I just kinda of haven't been in that space for a little while. Basically, shoot me, but I got high with my brother. For context, If anyone does know him who's listening, he is one of the funniest people you'll meet. And I know everyone says that about their own like relatives or not. No, 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 no. Like even other people who meet my brother, they're like, he's fucking funny. But I personally think he has one of the best laughs as well. So we were high this one time. And we just fell into a fit of laughter, you know, and it's not even like, ha ha, pull a joke laughter. It's just like you gasping for air. You think you might die kind of laughter. I don't know why it was during the peak of like me just not being happy. So I think I was more conscious that I was like, oh my God, I'm laughing. We're laughing. This is such a rare moment in my life right now. So I hit record on my phone. I don't actually have the video of him, like looking at him laughing. It's just the sound. So for the next couple of months at the randomest moments and because I wasn't in a good place I started having what I would consider maybe close to like panic attacks something i would never experienced in my life but they would happen in in public. So I put my headphones in and I just play this laughing. It's one of those moments where it's one of those laughs that you can't I'm smiling thinking of the laugh um you can't not laugh it's that infectious. So for me, it's like I cemented that moment in my mind, which I would have otherwise forgotten. And so we really need to put pins in both negative and positive moments, A for polarity, for comparison, but more importantly for the positive moments because they, they're so easy to slip our memory. So those are my three steps. Reframe the negative situation. Establish new patterns. Cement positive moments. So moving on to the last bit I wanna leave you guys with. So an incredible podcast, which I've already kind of um, referenced with the phone analogy, the iPhone and the apps analogy. I got it from this podcast and I cannot recommend listening to it enough. I found it a couple of years ago, New Year's Eve. I think if you listen to one of my recent podcasts about um, goal setting and taking on 2020, you will know that I listened to this podcast on New Year's Eve two years ago. And I've since listened to it maybe seven times. It's by Elizabeth Days. How to Fail, it's called, Um, but specifically series four, episode four, with Mo Gordat. So for context, he lost his son, Ali. I think Ali was 21, 22. He was incredibly close to his son. Um, So just trigger warning, if you are currently grieving or going through loss, um, he lost his son, unfortunately, to a very avoidable um, standard procedure. He was having his appendix removed. And I don't know the details, it didn't go right. And yeah, basically, had they gone to a different hospital, um, he wouldn't have died. So off the back of that, and why I I believe there's so much validity in what Mo has to say, is because this man had everything, financially, successfully, career-wise, family-wise, had absolutely everything. And... So then, even after the loss of his son, he admits that all the money in the world just meant nothing. It couldn't help him, and so he had to look really hard within himself. He decided to address and take charge of his brain and his thought patterns because it was the suffering, his own suffering of his life, um, and the power it was having over him that made him want to end his life. So the way he saw it was right. I need to. I need to conquer my thoughts. You don't need to have suffered loss to apply as methods to your own life if you feel out of control with your own thoughts. You know if you've taken anything from this just start being more aware that you are not that noise in your head and you have power over it. The next few minutes is going to help you regain that control and I really really genuinely hope it helps you like it helped me.
1: Your brain is literally talking to you. If you don't believe me, ask yourself this. If it was you talking to you, why would you need to talk? It's a third party. It's a biological function. Now, we glorify that biological function to the point where it takes over our entire life. Now, here's the trick. If you had a friend, I apologize if anyone listening to us is called Becky. I I call my brain Becky, okay? If you have a friend in school, Becky, who was so annoying, She showed up every seven minutes, told you awful things about yourself, made you feel horrible, and then left with no positive impact whatsoever on your life. Would you wake up the next morning, go to school and say, I miss Becky? Would you listen to Becky when she speaks? What would you do with Becky when she starts to do that? You'll say, no, Becky, please don't do this to me. If Becky starts to tell you weird lies, you'll say, Becky, do you have any evidence to back this up? Right? If Becky doesn't, Becky's a third party, huh? you would say, Becky, this is crap. You don't have the right to waste my life on crap. And that's exactly what our brains do. I stop in the middle of a conversation. I say to myself, Becky, what did you just say? Now, here's the interesting thing. It's not you talking to you. It's a biological organ talking to you. As horrible as that sounds, it's a three-pound lump of meat. Okay? The other interesting side of this is the following. If I give you a Ferrari, the you know, Ferraris are horrible cars. If I give you a really good car, okay, and, you know, I tell you to go around the track with that car and you don't know how to drive, you're going to kill yourself and everyone else. Understand how that brain works. Now, we think there is one type of thought. As a matter of fact, there are three types of thought. The type of thought that makes us unhappy is incessant thinking. Incessant thinking is basically your brain sounding the siren. Something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. That incessant thinking doesn't lead to anything, doesn't change anything in the real world. It happens in the midline areas of your brain. There are two other types of thoughts that are useful. One of them is insightful thinking, and the other is experiential thinking. Insightful thinking is when you solve a problem. Experiential thinking is when you observe the world as it is. Okay, Those happen mostly on the right-hand side of the brain, some in the prefrontal cortex, some in the insula, and so on. Those kinds of thoughts are the thoughts you should allow your brain to give you. And by the way, that's the attitude we use at work. If someone walks into my office and complains, I don't let them complain incessantly. Midway, I say, is there any information we're missing about this? Should we look at this differently? This is insightful thinking, okay? And experiential thinking. This is basically looking at the world as it is. Then I ask, what can we do about it? And that's exactly what I do with my brain. Ali, my son, leaves our world, okay? People think that I'm not given a choice. I am given two choices. One of them is to cry for the rest of my life. And then 27 years later, when I'm on my deathbed, Ali will still not be there. Is that a wise choice? The other is to do something about it. That doesn't bring him back. Nothing's going to bring him back. It's the truth. He left, right? But what I can do is I at least can make my life a little better, and his life, and the life of a billion people, a little better than than the day he left. Isn't that a better way of doing it? Now, of course, I feel pain. I miss him tremendously. But pain doesn't dictate how my brain tortures me. Pain is different than suffering. Pain is I remember him. I feel that I miss him. Suffering is my brain telling me you should have driven him to another hospital. And my brain did, by the way. Okay? I allow my brain only two types of thought. One is useful thinking and the other is joyful thinking anything else i say becky stop behave useful thinking if my brain tells me you should have driven him to another hospital i basically say to my brain i cannot do this right now do you have something you want to tell me that i can do i wish i could but i cannot give me a useful thought so my brain says why don't we write the happiness model we learned with him share it with 10 million people was the original target and make 10 million people remember him and love him and send him a happy wish, that would be a good way to honor him. Great. That's a great idea, brain. Thank you. That's how we should think. right? Or a joyful thought. Until today, I promise you, three to four times a week, I wake up in the morning or I go to bed at night and the only thought that comes to my head is, Ali died. He's part of my heart. It's just, I feel that part of me is missing. Right? I answer in a very simple way and I say, Yes, brain, but Ali also lived. Do you understand that? Ali died is a horribly painful thought. Ali lived is the same thought, but it's a beautiful thought. It's 21 years of joy, of wisdom, of learning, of insightful discoveries, of memories of him taking care of Aya, taking care of me, taking care of his mother that I wouldn't replace for anything. Honestly, even if you tell me will take away your pain for losing your son, I wouldn't say, no, 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 hold on. I want him. I want the 21 years. Don't lie to me, brain. Don't lie to me. But think about those. Because when I say, Ali lived, I start to get memories that are all happy, all joyful, all things that we did together. That's me being the boss. That's me telling my brain to take charge so that if there is something we can do, we do it. If there isn't, then don't torture me because there is no point to torture me if there is nothing I can do about it.